Chapter Sixteen of The Legacy of Cain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Legacy of Cain by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Sixteen. Helena's Diary. When I reached the foot of the stairs, my father called me into his study. I found him at his writing-table, with such a heap of torn-up paper in his waste-basket that it overflowed on to the floor. He explained to me that he had been destroying a large accumulation of old letters, and had ended, when his employment began to grow wearisome, in examining his correspondence rather carelessly. The result was that he had torn up a letter, and a copy of the reply, which ought to have been set aside as worthy of preservation. After collecting the fragments, he had heaped them on the table. If I could contrive to put them together again on fair sheets of paper, and fasten them in their right places with gum, I should be doing him a service, at a time when he was too busy to set his mistake right for himself. Here was the best excuse that I could desire for keeping out of Miss Jillgall's way. I cheerfully set to work on the restoration of the letters, while my father went on with his writing. Having put the fragments together, excepting a few gaps caused by morsels that had been lost, I was unwilling to fasten them down with gum until I could feel sure of not having made any mistakes, especially in regard to some of the lost words which I had been obliged to restore by guesswork. So I copied the letters and submitted them, in the first place, to my father's approval. He praised me in the prettiest manner for the care that I had taken. But when he began, after some hesitation, to read my copy, I noticed a change. The smile left his face, and the nervous quiverings showed themselves again quite right my child he said in low sad tones on returning to my side of the table i expected to see him resume his writing he crossed the room to the window and stood with his back to me looking out when i had first discovered the sense of the letters they failed to interest me a tiresome woman presuming on the kindness of a good-natured man to beg a favor which she had no right to ask and receiving a refusal which she had richly deserved, was no remarkable event, in my experience, as my father's secretary and copyist. But the change in his face, while he read the correspondence, altered my opinion of the letters. There was more in them, evidently, than I had discovered. I kept my manuscript copy. Here it is. From Miss Elizabeth Chance to the Reverend Abel Grassado date of year eighteen fifty nine date of month missing dear sir you have i hope not quite forgotten the interesting conversation that we had last year in the governor's rooms i am afraid i spoke a little flippantly at the time but i am sure you will believe me when i say that this was out of no want of respect to yourself my pecuniary position being far from prosperous I am endeavoring to obtain the vacant situation of housekeeper in a public institution, the prospectus of which I enclose. 
you will see it is a rule of the place that a candidate must be a single woman which i am and must be recommended by a clergyman you are the only reverend gentleman whom it is my good fortune to know and the thing is of course a mere formality pray excuse this application and oblige me by acting as my reference sincerely yours elizabeth chance p s please address miss e chance post Rasante, st martin's le grand london from the reverend abel grassado to miss chance copy madame the brief conversation to which your letter alludes took place at an accidental meeting between us i then saw you for the first time and i have not seen you since it is impossible for me to assert the claim of a perfect stranger like yourself to fill a situation of trust i must beg to decline acting as your reference your obedient servant abel grassado my father was still at the window in that idle position he could hardly complain of me for interrupting him if i ventured to ask about the letters which i had put together if my curiosity displeased him he had only to say so and there would be an end to any allusions of mine to the subject my first idea was to join him at the window on reflection and still perceiving that he kept his back turned on me i thought it might be more prudent to remain at the table this mischance seems to be an impudent person i said yes was she a young woman when you met with her yes what sort of a woman to look at ugly no here were three answers which eunice herself would have been quick enough to interpret as three warnings to say no more i felt a little hurt by his keeping his back turned on me at the same time and naturally i think i found my interest in miss chance i don't say my friendly interest considerably increased by my father's unusually rude behaviour i was also animated by an irresistible desire to make him turn round and look at me miss chance's letter was written many years ago i resumed i wonder what has become of her since she wrote to you i know nothing about her not even whether she is alive or dead not even that what do these questions mean helena nothing father i declare he looked as if he suspected me why don't you speak out he said have i ever taught you to conceal your thoughts have i ever been a hard father who discouraged you when you wished to confide in him what are you thinking about do you know anything of this woman oh father what a question i never even heard of her till i put the torn letters together i begin to wish you had not asked me to do it so do i it never struck me that you would feel such extraordinary i had almost said such vulgar curiosity about a worthless letter this roused my temper when a young lady is told that she is vulgar if she has any self-conceit i mean self-respect she feels insulted i said something sharp in my turn it was in the way of argument i do not know how it may be with other young persons i never reason so well myself as when i am angry you call it a worthless letter i said and yet you think it worth preserving have you nothing more to say to me than that he asked 
"'Nothing more,' I answered. He changed again. After having looked unaccountably angry, he now looked unaccountably relieved. "'I will soon satisfy you,' he said, "'that I have a good reason for preserving a worthless letter. Miss Chance, my dear, is not a woman to be trusted. If she saw her advantage in making a bad use of my reply, I am afraid she would not hesitate to do it. Even if she is no longer living, I don't know into what vile hands my letter may not have fallen, or how it might be falsified for some wicked purpose. Do you see now how a correspondence may become accidentally important, though it is of no value in itself? I could say yes to this with a safe conscience. But there were some perplexities still left in my mind. It seemed strange that Miss Chance should, apparently, have submitted to the severity of my father's reply. I should have thought, I said to him, that she would have sent you another impudent letter, or perhaps have insisted on seeing you and using her tongue instead of her pen. She could do neither the one nor the other, Helena. Miss Chance will never find my address again. I have taken good care of that. He spoke in a loud voice, with a flushed face, as if it was quite a triumph to have prevented this woman from discovering his address. What reason could he have for being so anxious to keep her away from him? Could I venture to conclude that there was a mystery in the life of a man so blameless, so truly pious? It shocked one even to think of it. There was a silence between us, to which the housemaid offered a welcome interruption dinner was ready. He kissed me before we left the room. One word more, Helena, he said, and I have done. Let there be no more talk between us about Elizabeth Chance. End of chapter 16